Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. We're just crushing it today, aren't we? <laughs> I, um, I actually had this fear one time when I was speaking at a conference that uh, I switched from paper to iPad, and, uh, I, you know, a lot of the older guys that preach believe in paper because, you know, iPads don't always work 100% of the time, and so I was had this terrifying dream that I went to speak, and my iPad was, like, super far away, and I just didn't have the audacity to, like, just do what I just did, <laughs> and, uh, and so I just had to do the whole thing without looking at my notes, and um, it was a dream. Um, I don't think it went very well. I didn't get any feedback, but... Um, but here we are, you know, we're just broken people trying to do this. So thanks for the grace. Um, today we're talking about, um, I think one of the like most, um, talked about passages in a lot of churches, whether they're Orthodox, like more traditional churches, uh, whether maybe you grew up Catholic, this is a huge piece of, uh, your tradition and, uh, whether you went through what's called catechism, this is like a big piece of that. And today we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus is giving us this uh, prayer in the middle of uh, this Sermon on the Mount, this, this, this teaching that we're listening to that is the biggest teaching that we get in the words of Jesus. It is like, uh, you know, whenever you graduate college and you have to write this big thesis and you have to put all these words into it and this is like your work, right? In some ways, the Sermon on the Mount is that. It gives us the biggest pieces of the heart of Jesus. And, uh, and he talks about this... Uh, the Lord's Prayer. Before we get into specifically the Lord's Prayer, because it has a lot of like unique pieces to it, um, I want to talk about just the idea of prayer in general. I actually, uh, it's funny, I was a youth pastor in Tucson for several years, and we had moved and decided we want to plant a church, and that's just a wild story. Um, I should tell that at a different time, but uh, a couple months into that, I was gone from Tucson. I got a text from one of, one of our old students uh, who went into college when I had left, and uh, he texted me, and he said, he said, hey, I just want to let you know that you asked me one of the best questions uh, that I've ever been asked in terms of discipleship. And I was like, cool, I have no idea what that is. And um, he said, he said, whenever we were meeting one time, you asked me how my prayer life was. And it's funny because, like, I, I was like, huh, wow, I mean, that's a good question for sure. But, like, I don't really know if that's, like, the most important question, you know. But for him, he was like, he was like, that, like, cut to my heart because... Everybody just wants to know what I'm doing. Everybody just wants to know, you know, what I can achieve, what I can succeed, what are the things I'm doing for God. And when we talk about this prayer life, it really gets to the core of who we are. And in Jesus' prayer here, we're going to see that that's, that's what he's revealing. And uh, that story is funny just because I don't even think I understood the weight of the question when I asked it, you know? And he reminds me like a year later, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I ask that question all the time now, and I, I ask myself that question, because truly, I think what Jesus wants to know, if he was to be here today in front of you, is he'd say, how's your heart? How are you doing? How's your relationship with God? And, and, uh, and in that, that is prayer. Prayer is the connection point. So as we talk about it today, prayer is this super big word that the American church loves to use, but never does it. <laughs> Um, my last church that I was at in Tucson, we were about 800 people, and we have a prayer event like once a month, every maybe six weeks. And, uh, and you know, we were, I would consider like a praying church, and we'd have like maybe 15 people show up uh, out of 800. 
uh, which is not, if you're wondering, it's not a very good ratio. <laughs> um, but then there's these other churches I'd read about. There's one in New York City that we joked about in prayer team one time. We were meeting here, uh, and, and they have this Thursday night prayer uh, every week, Thursday night prayer session, and it's like famous, like as in like everybody wants to go to it. It's just a prayer night. There's nothing like, there's no bells and whistles, anything crazy. And uh, people, it starts at 7, I think, and people show up at like 5.30 or 5 to like start praying. And so I had said this when one of our first prayer meetings, if you guys were in the meeting, you remember this, and everybody's like, oh, okay, good. So anytime we have a prayer event, like I need to be there two hours early. <laughs> and and it, it's this idea that like, you know, you see these churches who are just like, just absolutely immersed in prayer. And then you have these other churches who are like, I've never met a church that's like, we hate prayer, but I've seen plenty of churches that it seems like that. It seems like they don't really believe in it or they don't really trust it or it's not a value in their culture, in their belief. One of our DNA points, we have 10 DNA points that basically are like, what is the culture that we're trying to create a contrast? And one of them is that prayer is of utmost importance. Prayer is of utmost importance. And uh, I was sitting in a meeting with some directors a couple months ago, and I asked, I read all the 10, and I said, guys, which ones do you think we're just crushing it, we're doing great, like we're just owning it, and which ones do you think we're just struggling at? And if you guessed it, almost everybody agreed that that our, our culture does not act like this is true. That prayer is not of utmost importance. Prayer is like important and like we do it and we, we pray before service, we pray in groups and stuff like that. But like, are we actually believing that prayer is the most important thing that we need to do? If we have a moment of crisis or we have a moment of celebration, is prayer the thing that goes off our tongue? And, and I, I started to like think about this, and as I, I was setting up this teaching, I was like, okay, we could talk about the Lord's Prayer, but at the end of the day, the Lord's Prayer is beautiful, but if we don't really care about prayer, we don't really deem it valuable, then it, it really doesn't do much for us. And so I, I was starting to realize that I was looking, like just thinking about the world we live in today, and especially in, in the West, prayer is really the antithesis to the modern world. It is uh, praying to something supernatural, which science says, you know, supernatural things aren't real. And then it's also uh, depending on something other than your own individual self or your own independence. It is um, slowing down, right? Like slowing down and not just consuming or going to achieve or whatever. It's slowing down your pace. Uh, and a lot of people just think, honestly, it's just time wasted and wishful thinking. So this is like, you know, this is, this is the survey of what people think of prayer on the outside of the Christian world or those who maybe have are not Christians anymore. This is like what they see it as, and maybe they haven't had prayers answered. Maybe they've had um, just difficulties, right? Bad things have happened, and they've been frustrated. They've been praying about it. And, and at the end of the day, though, I think it boils down to this one main reason that has like three kind of heads to it. Um, it's like a three-headed dragon, if you will. And the dragon itself is that we don't pray because we don't really believe and trust that it is of utmost importance. That we don't believe and we don't trust, meaning we don't like lean into it as though it's something that will truly be what needs to happen. We might pray flippantly, right? We might like, oh, so-and-so's sick. Like, oh, I just pray like it'll be okay. Or like someone's driving somewhere. We just pray for them to be safe. But like it's not, it's not like a heart cry. It's like a, this is what we do, right? You sit down for dinner and before you eat food, we have to pray, right? This is just, this is like the, the, I don't know about you guys, this is the culture that I was in. When I was little, we, you know, we do the fun prayers where like you'd clap and do like hand motions and stuff. Now it's just like, Lord, please just can we pray really quick so that we can dive into this food because I'm starving. And things are just really flipped, but ultimately the root of everything, this dragon is really just we don't believe and trust that prayer is of utmost importance. And I, I don't believe it. I don't think you guys believe it. And I say that because I think if we did, we would be radically different in this value. And, you know, I was sitting right here 
30 seconds before I came up here, and I was like, I haven't prayed for my teaching really at all, like at all this week. I got it done like four days ago, and I did just like set it in my iPad and let it just sit. And I come up here, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty bad. <laughs> We're talking about prayer, right? I am just as guilty as all of you are. And, and uh, so I want to get into these three. These are the three reasons. We'll start with the bad, right? We'll start with the bad, and we'll end with the good. The bad is, here's the three heads of the dragon. Here's why we don't pray if we don't believe it's about most importance or believe in it. The first one is that we're just too prideful. This is probably the most important one. We're just too prideful, meaning that, uh, you know, like the, here's a good example. Um, you know, whenever, whenever you have $10,000 in your bank account, I, I would highly argue that you pray less than when you have 100 in your bank account. <laughs> Anybody like, yeah, I know that one, Trey. Or when you're in the, the red, right, when you're like negative, then you're really praying. Or you're like messaging people for money. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, GoFundMe. Uh, do, you, you know, do you spend time praying when you are around a bunch of people that are easy to love? Or do you spend time praying when you're around people that are really hard to love? Do you spend time praying more when uh, you get to school in orientation or when it's finals week? Right? When do you actually pray? And, and, and most of the time, we've created and we've constructed, constructed walls in our life so that they, they basically eliminate like, the, the, you know, the difficulty, the adversity, but in the process of that, we lose opportunities to create dependence on Jesus. That, like, the walls we put up to build comfort are the, also the antithesis of the very things that will help us realize our need for Jesus, which is the same reason why in next week and the week after that, we're going to talk about wealth and money and anxiety and just trying to create a life and a kingdom of your own and how that does not work because what you're doing is you're trying to build a life of your own without dependence on Jesus. And that's the very thing that, that is following him is, is walking behind his steps and trusting each step he takes is the step that you need to take. So the, at, the, at the very minimum, last week we talked about three things that Jesus was saying, hey, you know, these are three values of the kingdom. These are three disciplines that we do as followers of Jesus. And uh, some of the Pharisees and the, the religious elite were just abusing them for their own pride. And he says, you know, giving... Uh, prayer and fasting. These are the three, one of the three, uh, the three things he talks about. And I, I would say even in giving, you know, we, we, don't, we don't create a theology, a belief of God and money in such a way that we, 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 uh, we don't gain more money that we, we lose it. Meaning like we don't, I don't think about in 20 years how I'm going to make less money and give more away. I think about how I'm going to make more money and be able to buy more things, right? That's how we think. That's what retirement is. It's like, how much money can I make a massive pile of? And that way, when I'm old, then, then I don't have to depend on anyone, right? Including my kids or my family or my friends, right? I can be fully independent. And so even in money and in time, we, we, we just, like, we don't create structures that we even allow ourselves to be dependent on Jesus. The second one is that we are too busy, You've probably heard me say this quite a few times. I don't want to go too long on this one, but I've used this analogy where imagine yourself mowing your lawn. If you're in an apartment, um, sorry, but that's a good two years for you to not have to mow lawn. But imagine you're mowing your lawn, and you mow it for like an hour. You're done, and you have grass all over your legs. You smell, I don't know how. It was just somehow you just immediately smell like gasoline, even though you like didn't touch the mower, really. I don't, like the, I don't know. I, it's just the weirdest thing. I hate it. You, you smell gasoline, you got grass on your feet, and your hands still feel like you're mowing. You know what I'm talking about? Unless you have a really nice mower. Maybe you're like, have a riding mower, but I can't imagine any of you own like 10 acres. But uh, push mower. And it's, 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 it's as silly as doing that in like five minutes after 
even though you're done mowing, you're really not done mowing. You either need to go shower, like I don't know about you, but I just mowed this morning and I was like, I'm not gonna go to church like this. I smell like gas, I smell like a gas station. And so I shower and it's like this whole process, right? Mowing my yard is just part of like the whole process of going to be able to do something else. Well, we treat prayer the same way in our life where we, we schedule, you know, we're busy all day, all day, all day. We run, 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 fast pace, fast pace, fast pace. And then we give a five minute cushion for, to pray and to hear from God. And we wonder why we can't hear from him. It's because your hands are still shaking, your legs still have grass on them, and you still smell like a gas station. And, and we get mad, and it's like, what, you know, what do you expect, right? Like, if you're, if, you're, if you're so busy that you're just giving the smallest little sliver, how can you expect to have anything happen? It would be like if you, and I remember in, in teenage years, I, I would spend so much time at my friends' houses, they'd be back and forth, we all live in the same street, and it was so fun, and, and it would be like, you know, sometimes my friend would always come over to our house, I was, at some point I was like, man, do you even eat dinner, like, with your family? And um, obviously, I was young. I didn't care. It was like more, more gaming time. But it, it would be like that. It would be like this friend spending all of his time with my parents, and then you ask him how his relationship with his parents is, and like, well, you're never home, so clearly probably not very good. And the same way of prayer, it's like you can live your whole, your whole day doing, 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 you, 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 and then you give God five minutes, and you expect to have this just, this just vitality. And it's like, that's not necessarily how it works in any other area of your life. Why would it work here? And so today we're talking about something that at the end of the day is not to feel guilty or to feel shame or anything like that, but I think we, we just forget the importance of this. We honestly are just distracted and we're prideful and we're busy. The third one and the last one is that we are unconfident in prayer. Unconfident, I think mean, that's right, yes, unconfident in prayer. That we don't really trust like prayer. We don't, we don't really think it'll do anything, or if we do pray, we feel like we're just throwing up these things to God, and at the end of the day, who knows what'll happen, right? We, we pray for, like, we don't want to pray for menial things, maybe because we don't necessarily believe that it's going to be something that God would, would bless, or, or we pray for huge things, and they don't happen, and then we're really frustrated. And um, I think that a lot of people are in this place. You ask someone to pray in a circle of people, and like every, 80% of the people are just like terrified and don't want to look at you. And you're like, why would you not want to talk to the God who's already here right now and like acknowledge that he's working among us? Why would you not want to do that? And most of us don't, right? We don't want to pray in public. And I think we feel like it's just hard and it feels rigid or we have to impress people. Or, so our prayer lives are just even unconfident in that, in that way. And we treat God like, this is a fancy word, but like, like with deism, like a deist, that God is far off and that like, our prayers really don't matter all that much, and if they do, we very rarely see the fruit of them, and so why, why pray, right? It's not really that big of a deal. And uh, there's this analogy that uh, Nick and I have been reading this book. It's called A Praying Life, and it's been uh, really great. We've been going through it. feels like forever, but, um, but he gives this analogy that's really good, and it's this idea of when we're unconfident, there's like this, there's this, this kind of sliver of a road, and that this is like, this is the path of prayer, and that we oftentimes fall on one side or the other. And so, this side is that we don't ask. Like I said, we, we like literally just don't, I don't know, you get in these seasons where you're like, I prayed for something big years ago. I prayed that so-and-so wouldn't die. I prayed that so-and-so would get better in this sickness or this illness. Or I prayed for someone's marriage and they got divorced. And you, you're just like, I'm done, right? If God's not going to answer that prayer, clearly he won't answer other ones that are smaller. And so this just separates us and it just puts God like basically far away from us, right? And this is where I said deism. This is... Uh, what teenagers typically believe in is uh, what we call it. The, the clinical term is moralistic therapeutic deism. And it basically just means that we believe that God is far away and that he comes back 
to earth every time like we do something bad and he like slaps us or like sometimes he gives us good stuff but there's no relational tie there's no there's no union it's just it's just separate worlds right so we don't ask because we don't feel like if God didn't answer us then he doesn't do anything and so I'm just not really going to pray and on the other side we we ask selfishly so we do ask but we have this weird like we just you know I don't know if you've ever been around someone that prays this and and we have a hard time because we're just demanding God to do the things that we want him to do. We treat him like a genie. And so we're above God and we, I don't know, ask for things instead of his will to be done. And, and we, we just treat him like a genie. And that, that allows us to just basically be prayers for ourselves, not for God. It's, for us. it's only for ourselves. And he says there's this middle road where there's good asking, where we are, we are kind of, you know, it's this tension where we're, we're in between and it's us first acknowledging God. And at the end of it, it's not that we don't ask for things maybe that we really want. Like if you're like, hey, I really, I don't know, I'd really love to like move to a new better apartment or I'd really love a raise or I'd really love, you know, whatever. It doesn't mean that you just don't pray that, right? That's not what prayer means, but it also, it doesn't mean you don't ask. I mean, what little kid do you know when they're hungry doesn't ask their parents for food? Imagine if they didn't. They not be good. Like, asking is essential. Why, why? So, I don't know about you, I've been in this phase a lot, where I'm just like, God, I don't want to burn God. There's so many other people with so many other bigger problems. I don't want to pray that I'll get a good parking spot. You know? <laughs> like, anybody feel that? Somebody prays that in your car, and you're like, you are just so immature. God does not have time for our parking spot, you know? Or you live the, the way that you think, well, maybe God doesn't want us to get the parking spot because he wants us to use our legs, because he cares about our bodies, and he wants us to live longer, Right? <laughs> I, you laugh, but like this is our world, right? Like you guys deal with this, right? I do at least. I like, well, maybe I shouldn't pray that because maybe God's trying to teach me something here and I just need to like figure it out and let him just do what he's going to do and then I'll just, I'll just experience it and whatever, right? And it's, it's honestly just so impersonal. It, it creates this idea that uh, we either don't like prayer, we don't trust it, or we're frustrated by it. And so whether it's pride, whether it's busyness, or whether it's just you just don't, you don't feel confident in it. Um, We've, we've got to do better. And the Lord's Prayer is going to guide us in all three of those. I really believe it. And so let's get into it. Matthew 6. Uh, we actually skipped 7 and 8 in the reading, but uh, 7 and 8 is this weird filler passage from last week. We didn't read it. Um, and basically what was happening is this is kind of giving us the start of the Lord's Prayer. Because there's some, believe it or not, there's some um, well, I don't know, like Christians that believe that the only way you should pray is the Lord's Prayer meaning that's the only prayer you say. You don't, like, ask for things. You don't pray personally. It's not a... And so, uh, but the setting for the verse 9, which is where we'll start, in 7 and 8, basically what was happening was the Gentiles, which were people who weren't Jews, who hadn't traditionally prayed in the way that the Jewish people did to God, uh, they would just babble on and on. And this does not mean, like, oh, they prayed for an hour, and they kept, like, using all these words, like, hedge of protection, and, like, like safe, you know, safeguard, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's more like they were enchanting as if it was this formula, right? Like, we say these correct words, we babble these things, we make these chants, and it's like this formula, and then all of a sudden, God will just like, poof, does it, right? Sounds like a genie, right? And so Jesus says, let's not do that. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, first verse. Pray this way, okay? And this is, we read this as a prayer. This is, this is just like beautifully poetic. So, there's a lot of value that's coming out of here, but the first verse is, Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. And it, it's funny because immediately you're like, 
uh, Trey, my, my translation says hallowed, or you've you memorized it, hallowed. You can use hallowed. I don't know when's the last time you used that word, but it, it basically means the same thing. It's to like revere, to show honor, to hold, show holiness, righteousness. It's to respect. And, but the first verse is, is him saying our father. Now, if you notice, and I, I didn't even know this until I was studying it, was it's not my father, it's our father. Jesus is, is allowing us to realize that that community matters in prayer. That prayer, you know, we, have, we do a prayer event every month. This is a shameless plug. August 20th, we're doing one. Uh, but it, it's important to be there. Like people are like, oh, I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just pray for my car. I'll just pray in spirit, you know. And you're like, okay, I get it. You can't be there. But there's, there's a value here of us all praying this together. That's why we meet corporately, because we believe in the value of community. So Jesus is being very clear. Almost all of his language here is, is plural. It's several people. Our Father, and this is what Jesus calls God the Father, which is um, not necessarily new. The Hebrew people before Jesus would sometimes use the word Abba or Father. Or, uh, and so it's not completely new, but it's, it's allowing us to think of God the Father as, as our Heavenly Father, as someone who loves us, cares for us unconditionally, gives us the things that we might ask for, like our earthly father. Um, and some of us maybe didn't have that, but at the end of the day, we all have a Heavenly Father. And it says, in heaven, our Father who art, or who is in heaven. And this is fascinating. I ask this question to help people, and very few people know this. You ask people, where is Jesus right now? And they're like, oh boy, I, don't, I have no idea. And you're like, okay, he's at the right hand of the Father. Where is the Father? In heaven. Where is heaven? And you're like, I'm done with you, Trey. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus is praying to the Father who's in heaven, right? Jesus ascends after his resurrection, and he, he goes to sit with the Father. And so what is here now? We talk about uh, the Holy Spirit, who's like the, the least talked about of the, the, the Trinity, right? But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of uh, Jesus in that, you know, he is in our hearts and around us and here now, right? That, he, that we are praying, acknowledging that God the Father is seeing and intimately involved in what we're doing. And this is where the deism piece, I don't care because God's far away and he doesn't, he's not really involved. Why would he do what he did with Jesus and the Holy Spirit if he didn't want to be close to you? He's so close to you that he's in you. Like, I don't think there's really any more closest than that. And people will say, well, God's far off. And it's like, well, yeah, because I think we, sometimes we live our lives like that's the case, but he's right here right now. Sometimes we sing songs in church. We try not to sing them, but where it's like, come here, Holy Spirit. And you're like, he's already here. He was here before you got here and turned the lights on. Like, the Holy Spirit is present. And we forget about that, that if God did that, if God brought Jesus, his son, to experience humanity in, in being God, that he clearly cares about the personalness of, of his relationship with people. And this is why Christians should lead the way in prayer, honestly. Like, other religions, it, it is a little bit like, oh, we'll just throw some stuff up and hope something happens. But with us, it's this God brought his son down to earth to be among us. And then after he left, he said, it is better that I go because the Holy Spirit will be here. Now, I don't know about you, but most people are like, man, I would just love if Jesus was just sitting beside me in his seat Oh, it'd be so great. And then he says, wait a second, actually what's better is the Holy Spirit, which we have. I don't know about you, but when we start to realize that, we think, wow, God clearly is a personal God. In fact, like, there's just so many reasons why he could not have done that, and he did. He chose to do it, and it's beautiful. So the start of the prayer has nothing to do with us, right? It's not like, God, give me this. It's our, our God, the Father, who acknowledging who he is. It's in heaven, acknowledging that he is in heaven where, you know, we, we want to be and will be um, for eternity, but that in the reality here, that he is not far off, that he is here now in the spirit. 
and that he's aware of the things that are, it's, Jesus just said, he's aware of what you ask before you even pray. And the last line of this is, may your name be honored or hallowed. And this is just, this is just giving praise to God. It's fascinating how um, there's, a, there's a prayer style. This is very churchy, but there's this prayer style called ACTS, A-C-T-S. It's like adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which if you, the, those are just like different words for focuses of prayer. It's amazing when you do that, and you start off in a group of people maybe, and you start off, let's just do A, right? We're just going to pray. We're going to adore God. We're going to just give him praise, right? It's amazing how quickly, you know, you spend 10, 15, 20 minutes doing that, and you don't even care about your problems, because you're just, you're just aware of who God is and what he's done. And so often we, we bring ourselves into the five-minute, like, shaking hands, mowed the grass, and we're like, I only got five minutes. What are the things that are just pressing on me? Well, I have a long day at work today. Well, my family's crazy. Well, I'm, you know, and that, that's what you pray, right? You don't, like, does, it makes sense. And here, the first thing that we do, Jesus says, the first thing you do is you give reverence to the one who deserves it, and it has really nothing to do with you. And on top of that, it's uh, verse 10. He says, may your kingdom come. So first it's, you know, we're revering the name of God and who he is. The second part is his kingdom coming. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our website uh, says this, it says in Grandview, as it is in heaven. And it's like just praying that, that the place that we are in, the four, 43212 zip code, the 40,000 people that are here, that we would, uh, we would help make this heaven on earth, that God is using us. Um, to be his vessels and to, to love people well and to make the kingdom here. And, and it's not this distant world, right? Heaven is not like this just far-off place where it's like, I don't know, another planet, like we treat it. It, it can be here now. That Jesus, when he comes, he says, the kingdom is here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And this is his whole entire teaching. Here's who gets into the kingdom. Here's the kingdom values. Here's the kingdom disciplines. Here's the kingdom prayer. And he says, may your kingdom come, and what that means is that automatically means, may my kingdom not come. <laughs> and the most stressed out Christians that I feel like I, I get to talk with are the ones who are praying both. And I don't know about you, but God's kingdom will look entirely different than yours. And if it doesn't, then it's your kingdom. Because, like, why would you worship a God who is exactly what you 100% think should be and not allow his kingdom that would probably be different than what you think? Otherwise, you could be God. You should be God. And so his kingdom come, which means our kingdom actually is removed or is destroyed or whatever, right? And, and so we're praying that would God's kingdom in our lives, in the area around us, would we be more willing for his kingdom to come? And that means a lot of good things, but it also means a lot of hard things. It means giving up things that we like. It means um, loving people that we don't want to love. I think it accomplishes three things. And, and the first one, like I said, is that the kingdom is here now, which means the kingdom is here now, now. The second one is that we yearn for the kingdom, the full kingdom, in awaiting in heaven. And that's the one that, if you've ever heard the phrase, um, here but not yet, it means it's here now, but it's not yet fully fulfilled until Jesus comes back. And he's not coming back here to just burn everything, right? He's coming back to make this place fully heaven, that he could fully dwell within us and among us in this new heaven. And so we yearn for that final ending as well. But lastly, and most importantly, that this plan is not about us, it's about God. Even when we pray, may your kingdom come, you're willing to relinquish the kingdom that you believe is right, and that you're willing to allow God to do what God wants to do for his own sake, which is a very bold prayer. 
It means that we have to trust him when things are difficult, or we trust him that when things don't go our way. And in the end of this, our kingdom has to die. And so there's these three pieces, you know, our Father in heaven, the kingdom come, and his will. His will is, is plan. There's these three pieces, and then he gives us three um, kind, of, kind of asks, if you will. So verse 11, you've probably heard this before. If you're around a super Christian, they probably like use this as like an illustration. Like, yeah, just, just, just asking for my daily bread today. And you're like, what does that mean? You eat bread every morning, you know? But daily bread is this spiritual idea, right? It's rooted in, um, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. And it is fascinating when we read the story of these Israelites leave Egypt. This is like one of the coolest stories. I use this story, I feel like, in so many different illustrations. But they leave, they leave Egypt, they start complaining, God, we have no food, we're in the desert, blah, blah, blah. God decides to rain manna from the skies, which is if that isn't miracle enough, they're also able to eat it. And it, it rains, you know, every day, basically, manna, bread. And then he says, you know, on the sixth day, you harvest double because on the seventh day, you don't work. What do the Israelites do? They start stockpiling the manna, whether it's so they don't have to work as many days, whether they don't trust that God will keep it raining manna each day. I don't know about you, but in Columbus, you know, it rains like a lot. But there's days where it doesn't rain, and farmers are praying for rain. I don't think Justin's here today, but he's probably praying for rain. <laughs> okay, but every day, who knows, right? You can't predict it. I mean, you can predict it, but we don't make it happen. And so in the same way, manna every day was a trust every day that when they woke up, they knew, I might not survive today without God. And I don't know about you, but I don't wake up very often like that. I don't wake up thinking, man, I hope I get a meal today. Man, I hope that I, like, I'm not fearful of my home being robbed or being shot or whatever, right? Like, we don't, we don't typically think any of those things. But in asking for our daily bread, we're asking that we would actually not build storehouses. That just, we create what, when they did it, it turned, worms got it, and they got plagued. It was not good because they didn't depend on God daily. And so this phrase really just means I'm asking God to give me what I need in his, his perspective, what, what we need, not what I think I need, what he knows we need, and nothing more. That's a wild prayer, and I have a hard time praying because when you pray it, God will give it to you. <laughs> and that typically is not the way we want to live. So they, they, uh, these, these Israelites, they complained as well. Not only did they stockpile the food, they complained about the food which I think is so telling of our lives. Like, we, all right, all right, God, I guess I'll pray. But then we get mad when he doesn't do what we want him to do, right? He doesn't answer the prayer in the way we want him to. This is the Israelites. They get tired of manna, and so they want something else. Can you believe it? It's like, it's raining bread, and you're like, God, this bread, this raining bread is getting super old. We want something else. And he does give them something else, but it's still this idea that our hearts are never satisfied. And when we pray, even it's the same way. We pray, with, we pray prayers that are really not, like, God-honoring, Right? We, we pray on this end, but God even, I think, gives us grace even when we pray these things. But at the end of the day, part of God answering prayer is not answering it the way that you want it. There's a good chance that he could be praying, you could be praying for something that he answers in a completely different way than what you expected. And most likely, the prayer will shape you in ways you never even knew. And I don't know about you, but that, that's like so indicative of my entire life. I think I want something, I'm going to run down that door, God closes the door, I'm super mad at God, and then he gives me something else that maybe isn't like, always better, but it's way more formative for me. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. 
So after we, we ask for our daily bread, the, the material, the stuff of life, right? Then we ask for forgiveness in ways that we've wronged or sinned against God and others. This is part of the reason why we do confession in core groups, because we just want to model, hey, we're broken people and we make mistakes. And we, we model at the end of the day that, that we need to be forgiven way more than even we need to forgive. But that's rooted in forgiveness. And so that's, th- this prayer in, like in itself is reminding ourselves that we are continually sinning against God. We don't just, we are, we are made new, and we are made free in the blood of Christ, but that our hearts should still continue to break for the, the, the kingdom that we still try to build piece by piece while following God. And, and in, in light of that, then, we realize that the debt that God has freed us from allows us to forgive others as well. Sarah and I were watching this, uh, this, is, this, is a, this is in my notes, but we were watching this really just trashy reality TV show yesterday, <laughs> And, uh, and there, was this couple, there was this couple and this girl who would not forgive each other. Like, we're just like, I don't care what they do. I will never forgive them. And it honestly, like, it really bothered me. I was like, man, that person just needs to forgive them. Like, this is not okay. You can't just not forgive them forever. And then I realized we're watching a Netflix reality TV show. And I was like, this is the world that we live in. But it, it's true. I mean, we are not allowed to do that because when we don't do that, we are slandering God's forgiveness for us. We are pushing it aside, and we are not acknowledging the, the forgiveness and the grace that he has given us. And, and that's just, I think, at the end of the day, we have to start there. And that's why we do um, the Lord's Supper, and that's why we, we do it every week. We offer the communion bread and cup, is because we want to remind ourselves, oh, well, I'm broken. I need forgiveness. And in light of that, even, I should forgive others. That's why Jesus literally says, if you have a qualm with a brother or a sister or someone you don't take communion, you don't go to the temple, you don't make the sacrifice, you don't say, look, God, I'm trying to be holy, when you know there's something looming over your back. And in the same way, when we pray this, I think God brings people to our mind. I think God reveals this, these burdens and this, this oppression that we've been feeling because we are not forgiving people, or we're not forgiving ourselves. Forgiveness is, is at the root of this prayer. And the... the um, this is, this is like, I, I've used this illustration several times, but I think it's really, really helpful. You know, when we pray, we're not, when we're praying and we're growing spiritually, it, this is not a very popular, this is not sell books. <laughs> but uh, contrary to popular belief, you know, my job and our job as followers with each other is to help people to grow in dependence in Jesus, which actually means that you don't think more and more of yourself. You think more and more of Jesus. And you do that by being aware of your brokenness. And so the, the more that you realize, man, I'm broken. Like, I, I truly need forgiveness. I need a Savior. I need grace. I need love. And, I, and the more that you're aware of this, this actually causes you to have more dependence on God, which is exactly what prayer is, right? Prayer is us with our words, with our time, with our heart, with our brain, acknowledging that we can't do it on our own. And what happens is the cross that was so little here becomes bigger and bigger as we grow in brokenness. Now, this doesn't sell books. I don't know about you. The self-help section doesn't have a lot of, hey, you're broken, and you have problems. That doesn't sell well. But this is the gospel. And praise God, this is it, because at the end of the day, this will ultimately allow us to see a bigger cross day in and day out. And so as we pray, most times we're not praying, because like I said, we're, we're prideful. We're busy. We're not, we're not acknowledging this. And this isn't, this isn't like a sadistic, like, I suck, I'm the worst. I'm the, like, it's not like, 
treating yourself like trash, but it's just acknowledging that this is the world that we live in, that this is the, the brokenness that we've chosen and continue to choose, and it doesn't have room in God's kingdom. And as we see it and acknowledge it, he's made a way for us. So that's, that's the most helpful illustration that I've come back to plenty of times in my own walk. And the last one, verse 13 which is kind of like this, this prayer for application, right? Like as, as he leaves. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, I want to invite the band up as I close with this last verse. But the, the idea that, that we are to be delivered from temptation, it, it seems kind of confusing because we think that, okay, like what is temptation, right? In James, he talks about trials. Or there's things that are hard that happen in our life, but, but temptation, God is not... Is he, is he tempting us? Is he luring us into things? Like, is he putting something that we know we're prone to sin in our lives? And, and this prayer is very obvious. And we look at Jesus, and we talked about Jesus in Matthew 4. He had been tempted in the wilderness, but it was more of a testing than it was a tempting. And, and so we're praying, God, as we continue to walk in the way of you, would you help us to keep our eyes clear? It does not mean that if you're prone to struggle with lust, that you're not going to go to a pool and there might not be a cute girl there or whatever, or boy. Like, it doesn't mean that that's not the case. But what it means is that you're, you're praying throughout that, that God gives you the strength to keep your eyes on him, that uh, you get so caught up in what was the old-fashioned following a rabbi. It was literally walking, like, it was funny. They would do this. A rabbi would walk, and they would, like, not, like, shadow them, but they would walk in their steps, like, physically as well. It was this, like, symbol of walking with, in the way of the rabbi. We get so distracted in walking in the way of Jesus, our rabbi, that we we don't care about the things outside. We don't care about the things left or right. And so as we pray that, Lord, would you continue to lead us to help keep our eyes on you and deliver us from the evil one. And so as we uh, transition here to one last song, we're going to give you a little bit of time if you'd like to take the bread and the cup. We offer this every, every Sunday. And, uh, you know, for me personally, it's w- one of the times where I just— think about my week and think about, man, how much did I screw up and how much do I need Jesus? And in prayer, I feel guilty, which is crazy. Like I, there's certainly forgiveness that I need to ask for and just trying to do it my way several days to not like really leaning into God. Um, and so if you don't have this, you, if you follow Jesus, you're welcome to go grab one and take it. We're going to give you about a minute. But personally, uh, that is what I'm processing through is I remember the sacrifice that he made that even in communication with him, I'm, I'm broken and I'm struggling and I need help. And so that's what I acknowledge. So you get about a minute and then uh, we'll sing one last song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.